you've uh, heard me say this a couple times before, but um, I have a book at home. I don't, I don't know what that, if it makes me kind of weird or off just a little bit. All pastors are weird and off just a little bit. But there's a book that I have. It's called Where Are They Buried? And it's a collection of stories about famous people. And it gives little biographies about their life. And it, it tells you how they passed away. And it tells you where they're buried. And uh, fascinating stories of people and their lives. You may not really know these names. And I'm not going to go into a long story. But I was reading one this morning. And there was something that stood out to me. To me. Gertrude Stein and Alice Toklas. Some of you may have heard those names, but Gertrude Stein and Alice Toklas, uh, famous literary writers and authors of the 19th and 20th century. They were also live-in partners who were not only conflicted in their sexual orientation, but they were also conflicted in their identities. And again, without taking too much time to explain the background, um, After Alice Toklas died in 1967, there was someone who made this statement about Alice, and it just really stood out to me, and I thought, I'm going to share that this morning. After Alice Toklas died in 1967, someone said that she was, quote, a woman who all her life has looked in the mirror and has seen someone else. I thought that was powerful. A woman who all her life has looked in a mirror and has seen someone else. I thought, how profound. How many people today around the world are looking in the mirror every single day and they're looking for someone else? How many here today, within our midst, within this room, you've been looking at a mirror for many years and you're looking at someone else? We've been in a series now for a while. Why am I here? Why am I here? The first purpose we talked about last week is that you are here to bring joy and pleasure to God. If you want to know what your purpose is in life, if you want to know how to get your fulfillment and true meaning out of life, your purpose is to bring joy and pleasure to God. To God. Last week we discussed how do you do that. You do that by worshiping God. And I want to just say this morning I felt the Spirit of God in this place and you were worshiping God. But that is just one way because worshiping God is anything that you do to please your mother. <laughs> okay, let me say that again. Anything you do that pleases your dad. No. Worship is anything that you do that pleases the heart of God. There's a difference. Anything you do that pleases the heart of God. And also having a relationship with God. Doing those things that will cultivate an intimate relationship with God. That's what we talked about last week. Today, our second purpose really uh, could have been our first purpose from last week. But your number two purpose today is to be a part of the family of God. It's to be a part of the family of God There's a verse I've been reading a lot, and get used to it. You're going to continue to see it until it's drilled into your head. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. Had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. 
I like that last line. And what a pleasure he took in planning this. I think my wife is with the baby. Jenna, would you mind getting me a glass of water, please? I can tell I'm going to need it. Okay? All right. I want, I want to focus, though, on the middle of that verse. I want to focus on that. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. <coughs> Adoption. Some of you have been through that process. Um, I think it's a public knowledge now, but Nathan and Rochelle, they're in the process of adopting uh, a child right now. Um, there's a lot of work going into that, right, Nathan? Just a little bit. A little bit of paperwork, right? Yeah. Um, some of you have been through that already. But every time that I have been around an adoption process, the parents are just ecstatic. They are thrilled to death to be getting a new little boy or a new little girl. And folks, I believe that this verse, these are not Brock's words, these are God's words. I believe that verse right there demonstrates that our Heavenly Father is ecstatic, is thrilled to death when He can adopt a new member into His family. You see, the very nature of God is relational. The very nature of God is relational. That's why He created mankind. Thank you, dear. Listen, that's one of the reasons why God made you. It's one of the reasons why God made Adam and Eve is so that He could have a relationship with us. It all points back to our Creator. This theme was uh, even picked up this week as we began our, our crazy love study with Francis Chan and how we're just blown away at our Creator. And I've been sharing some of those things, but I read a couple new things this week that I did not realize. Our earth, right now, I said this to the group on Wednesday, right now, do you know that the earth is spinning at 10,000 miles an hour right now? You're spinning at 10,000 miles an hour. doesn't feel like it, does it? That right now our earth is spinning around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. In the Amazon jungle, there are over 3,000 species of trees in one square mile of the Amazon ocean, or Amazon jungle. 3,000 species. If you look at coral plants in the ocean, they're so sensitive that they can die if the water temperature varies by even one or two degrees. Goosebumps. We all get goosebumps at times. That is the body's way of helping you stay warm. Whenever your, your, your arm gets goosebumps, your hair follicles are actually trying to trap in heat. Do you think that was just by accident? Do you think that you're here just by chance? And to think that long, long ago, God was interested in you. No, He just wasn't interested in you. He was thinking about you. No, He wasn't just thinking about you. He was thinking about having a relationship with you. Wait, wait, that's not right either. 
He was doing more than just thinking about you. He was doing more than just being interested in you. He was doing more than just wanting to have a relationship with you. Folks, the God of the universe wants to adopt you into his family. Praise God, Dave, you're right. I want to say, are you kidding me? This God wants to adopt you into his family. Who would reject a God like that? And then I think of the verse, what is man? That you are mindful of him. And that the son of man, that you visit him. Those of you in our crazy love study, can you see why Francis Chan tells us that we should just sit in silence? That we should just be in awe? We should be in wonder when we consider all of this. That's the kind of God that we have. Let's contrast that with, you might not expect this to come up on the screen, but let's contrast that this morning with a God like Allah. Now keep in mind, this religion and all religions, they really have two sides. There, there is man's response to the God and the religion, and then there is the God's response to man. And then this side, let's look at Allah's response, or how man should respond to Allah. Man must give total and complete surrender to the will of Allah. Nothing short of complete and total abandonment will suffice. Now extremists will use any and all means to force people into that. We know that it's been well documented. We know this is the world that we're living in today. And that they will destroy anyone who does not give that allegiance to Allah. But aside from the extremism, we too believe that we should give complete surrender to Jesus Christ. But what about Allah's side of the equation? What does he offer us in return? About the only thing that one can see is Allah guarantees an afterlife to those who obey him without reservations. But I ask, isn't there more? There's got to be more. What about life here and now? Does Allah care about you? Does Allah love? Does he have concern? Does he show grace and mercy to those who follow him? How about forgiveness and compassion and kindness? Did he send a son to die on this earth in place of those who were sinful? You see, there are no relational qualities to Allah, only strict obedience. And I ask, does any other God, any other religion, does any other faith, for that matter, offer this kind of relationship? What about our God? It says, for God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Ephesians 2.4 But God is so rich in mercy... And He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, 
He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Then how can we forget that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Church, this is our God, and He can be anyone's God if you will only believe. Aren't you glad that we have a personal God, a relational God who cares about every aspect of our life? Aren't you glad? Man, I am. This morning, as I was greeting some of you, and Dee's granddaughter was down here, and, and uh, Bri- Brianna, it's Brianna, not Brianna, right? Brianna. Yeah. Brianna. Um, and she had a, 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 like a cloth and, and some ice over top of her finger, and, and, I, and I could tell something was going on, and she ended up shutting her hand in the car door this morning. And I looked at it, it was all red and swollen. You could tell that she was hurting. Now, I cared for her, and, and that it hurt me to, to see her hurting, but no one cared more about her finger than God does. That, that's not silly. That's our God. He cares about every aspect of our life. He knew exactly what she was feeling, and he was there with her as well. Look, I heard someone once say that if God had a large photo album on a coffee table, he would want your picture in it. Purpose number two, we are here to be a part of the family of God. This spiritual family is more important than our physical family because it will last forever. It's a stronger union, a more permanent bond than blood relationships. The family of God. As quickly as I can this morning, there are three things that should be found within the family of God. Three things that should be found within the family of God. Number one, a family that will love one another. A family that will love one another. Why is this important? Well... Jesus said it, John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The world is watching us, aren't they? The world is watching us. They want to see, they want to know if this relationship that we claim to have with this Jesus, they want to know, does it really make a difference in your life? And they're going to see that by how we treat one another. I don't know if you realized it, but when we look at the Ten Commandments, four out of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with God, but the other six, the other six commandments deal with our relationship with one another. Did you ever think about that before? What are the other six? Honor your father and your mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house. See, it's a relationship with one another. Here's a good prayer to start off every day. God... Whether I get anything else done today, 
I want to make sure that I spend time loving you and loving other people because that's what life is all about. A family that will love one another. A second thing that must always be found in the family of God is a place to belong. A place to belong. Let me read you this story. Mary Ann Bird, who was a Christian author, writes in her book, The Whisperer Test, said, quote, I grew up knowing that I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. And when I started my school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to the others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I tell them that I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside of my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade that we all adored. Her name was Mrs. Leonard. She was short, round, and happy, and a sparkling lady. Annually, we had a hearing test at school. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, and finally it was my turn. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something. We would have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky is blue. Do you have new shoes? And I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard leaned forward into my ear and whispered, I wish you were my little girl. God is whispering to all of us this morning. I wish you were my little boy. I wish you were my little girl. See, contrary to what a lot of people think today, even though God created man, He's waiting for us to put our faith in Him, to become a child of God, so that He can whisper. And He's whispering to you today, maybe. I want you in my family. I'm going to put you in my family album. I want to have you so I can look at. See, this is God's message to mankind, to be one of His own. To be loved and accepted, to feel like you belong, to know that you have a home. Regardless of what kind of background that you have, what kind of family you may come from, the family of God should always be a place where one feels they belong. Look, this Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. The Bible says that all believers are put together, joined together, built together. We are heirs together. We are fitted together. And we are held together. The church, above anything else, should be a place where one can feel accepted, one can feel loved and cared for, shown compassion and sympathy. It's a place where we help edify and encourage one another. 
Sometimes, hear me out on this, sometimes the church is a place where the truth needs to be told, but told in love. Now, does the family of God always act perfect? Families argue. Families fight. Families bicker. Sometimes we can be irritating to each other, right? Yeah. That's life and that's family. But God, God even has something to say about those times when we act like family members in the family of God. God says this, you must make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. That's an amen or ouch verse, isn't it? But you don't know what they did. But they said this to me. You don't know how hurt I was. They deserve my... Aren't you glad that Jesus went to the cross yet while we were sinners? And because of that, we have no excuse not to love, not to forgive, not to restore. I didn't say it was always easy, but that's what we're called to do. The church is a family made up of people, people who are not perfect. But we must always endeavor to create an atmosphere that cultivates forgiveness and one where everyone feels apart. Let me me clarify a couple of things here, though. Hear my heart on this. If we want to experience a place of belonging within the church, we must be willing to commit to the life of the church. We must be willing to share life with your fellow brothers and sisters. Simply coming when it's convenient will not fulfill and satisfy that desire of being a part of the family of God. You can worship God amongst thousands of people, but family fellowship is best when you get your elbows dirty. When we share and live life together. When we get in an atmosphere that you can know that there are those around you that are trying as well to walk the straight and narrow, you can link arms with your brothers and sisters and say, hey, I need help as we walk through this life together. Look, Sunday mornings are great times of corporate worship, but they're not necessarily geared towards getting us close to one another. Got that? They're good for corporate times of worship, but to help us uh, relate to one another, they don't necessarily, they're not geared for that. This is why I, and this is why we put so much emphasis on our Sunday school class, or why we put so much emphasis on our midweek services. Sunday school and midweek services and groups and other times that we're looking at creating, they're all meant to create atmospheres where we can be real with one another. Share our hurts, share our feelings, and confess our failures and doubts and admit fears and weaknesses. So if you're new here to the mill, I encourage you, find different ways of getting involved. 
Find ways of getting your elbows dirty. Now, let me say this, and then I'm going to move on to my last point. To the rest of you, those who have been coming here for a while, I have a challenge for you. How are you and how are we? How are we personally welcoming welcoming those to the church who might be new? Say amen or ouch. How are we personally welcoming those who might be new to the mill? Don't just stick with those in your comfort zone. Be willing to branch out and reach out to those. Someone That's one of the reasons I created the, the cafe atmosphere is so that you could have an atmosphere to where you can get to know one another. You can go have a cup of coffee with someone. But what I encourage you to do, though, see, what, what I, I know human nature. I, I'm, a lot of times I'm in here praying, but a lot of times I'll see the groups, the same groups that we're comfortable with in here are the same groups that are out there. Yeah, yeah, getting quiet in here, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Branch out. Go get to know someone. Hey, say, come over here. Let me, let me get to know you a little bit. That's the family of God. You may notice that we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these folks are so dear. When one has a heartache, we all shed the tear and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. For I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood, joined... What's the rest of it? Help me. What is it? As we travel this thought, for I'm glad the family, the family... Let's sing it. I'm so glad... I'm a part of the family of... I've been washed. I've been washed in the fount. Cleansed by, cleansed by His blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this song. For I'm part of the family. The family of God. It's within the walls of this church where we find mercy and grace. And love is to be experienced. To where mistakes, oh, and hear me on this, where mistakes are not rubbed in, but they're rubbed out. Last point. A third thing that should always be found within the family of God is a place to restore broken fellowship. 1994, a study of hospital emergency room visits was conducted. In that year, 1.4 million victims of violence or suspected violence were taken to the emergency rooms. 50% of the 1.4 million, they were hurt by someone they knew. They were hurt by a spouse or a former spouse, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a parent or a child, or a friend or an acquaintance. And 
life and this heart that's not perfect any anymore to deal with. In heaven there won't be any disagreements or any arguments. This is just life. So we might as well deal with it. We might as well know how to deal with it. We might as well talk about it. <laughs> Hurts and conflicts and rifts will occur. The same is true in the church. However however only in the family of God can we give and receive true restoration. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the church is often known for divisions and splits, shooting its own rather than loving each other. Since we are mandated to love one another, even in the midst of disagreements, broken fellowship is disgraceful to God and the unsaved world. Not only are unresolved conflicts hard on the church family, it will block fellowship with God and even hinder our prayers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Notice he did not say, blessed are the peace lovers. There's a difference, isn't there? Everyone loves peace. But Jesus said, blessed are those who will make, who will humble themselves and do whatever it takes to make peace. Hmm. It's those who work towards making peace that please the Lord the most. There are times within our families and there are times within the family of God when we need to pick our battles and just avoid conflict. Some things just aren't worth it. And then there are times when we need to confront and even create conflict. But when these times occur, and I'm going to end with this, and you're going to think there are six things. All right. There are six biblical steps towards spiritual restoration. This will be quick, all right? Six biblical steps towards spiritual restoration. These are good, um, good steps to follow in life, not just within the family of God. Number one, whenever you may find yourself in a disagreement or a division type situation, talk to God first. See, that's kind of where we get in trouble, isn't it? We kind of just skip that part and we go right to doing whatever it is that we want to do. Talk to God first before you talk to the individual. Allow God to prepare you and the individual in the situation. How many of you can give me testimony that um, whenever you waited on the Lord, gave Him time, and you went to the Lord first, that it all just worked out? King Jehoshaphat, Second Chronicles chapter 20. He was up against it. and He cried out to the Lord. That was the first thing that he did cried out to the Lord, and he said, God, we don't have the power. We don't, we don't have what we need. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And God ended up delivering him. Number two, take the initiative. Take the initiative. Matthew 5, 23-24 tells us that if we sense there is something between a brother or sister, and whether we believe it's our fault or not, we are to take the initiative and go to them first and try to resolve the matter, whatever might be going on. You don't like that one, huh, do you? 
That's not easy, is it? We don't like that. It's what God says, though. Whether you think it's your fault or not, whether you think, I don't, this person's acting real funny all of a sudden. They're just treating me. I don't know if I've done anything wrong. That's their problem. I'm not dealing with it. Let them, we fold our arms, don't we? We fold arms. Take the initiative. In the spirit of love, in the spirit of humility, take the initiative. Number three, when you are talking to the individual, sympathize with their feelings. Sympathize with their feelings. Realize that there are two sides to every story. Be willing to open up. Listen to their heart. Listen to their feelings. Chances are you'll learn something that you did not know before. Chances are it could be just a big misunderstanding. Number four, confess your part in the conflict. Look, none of us here are perfect. Be honest with yourself and mature enough to own up to any wrongdoing that you may have played, whether you've realized it or not. Maybe it becomes uh, clear to you as you're talking to this individual. And when you admit wrongdoing, it will diffuse the other party, creating an atmosphere for reconciliation. This, this, is, this next point is key. Number five, attack the problem, not the person. Not the person. Describe perhaps how the, how the situation made you feel, how you perceived it, uh, maybe how the situation appeared to you. Don't attack the other person because how you say something is just as important, if not more important, than what you say. Some of you in your marriages right now are saying amen to that. How you say what you need to say to your spouse is just as important as what you say. And lastly, I'd be a little surprised about this, but lastly, emphasize reconciliation and not resolution. Emphasize reconciliation and not resolution. See, even after you take all of these steps, there still may be some circumstances, there still may be some times when an agreement just cannot be found. But reconciliation can still take place. Sometimes you may need to agree to disagree and leave forgiving and reconciling, reconciliation in spite of your differences. Leave having forgiven one another and reconcile. You see, you're meant to be a part of the family of God. And I end with this. It says in Galatians 3.26, You are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? You are a child of God. You are adopted into the family, but under one condition, is you must put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Doesn't matter if you're a member of a church. Doesn't matter how long you've been going to that church. Doesn't matter if your parents or your grandparents or your great parent grandparents were Christians or members of the church. Doesn't matter how good of a person that you try to be. Doesn't doesn't matter if now I'm going to give you some verses here in a second, but it doesn't matter just believing in God. There's got to be more to it than that. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a part of God's family. You've never really actually asked Jesus into your heart. 
Maybe you've been in and out of church your entire life, but this has left you unfulfilled as well. I'll tell you why. Because this building, this building was never meant to bring fulfillment to your life. It was just meant to have a place for God's people to come worship corporately. I'm going to ask Brian to come up. Come on up, Brian. He's just going to end in a simple song. As I started off the beginning of the message, maybe you've been looking in the mirror your entire life and you're seeing someone else or you're looking, who are you? What am I really here for? What is my purpose in life? Maybe you've never been raised in church, and, but you know that you need more, you want more, you want to be a part of this family of God. Listen, the Bible tells us that there are three things that you need to do. You need to admit that you're a sinner. 1 John 1, 8 and 10 says that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and we make God out to be a liar. We must first admit to this sin problem, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You first need to admit your condition. B, A, B, C here. B, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. You see, it does start with belief. It does start with the faith. But here's C. Here's the one that some people like to leave out. You must confess. Confess your sins. And ask for forgiveness. For without this, you cannot become a part of the family of God. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess Jesus with your mouth, you will be saved. 1 John 1, 9 says that if you confess your sins, then He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe there's someone here, you've never taken those steps gone to church a lot, you love God, you believe in God, but I don't know about all that other stuff. Maybe this is your day. The day when you can accept Christ. Maybe there's someone here, you've done that before, and you've walked away, you just kind of, it wasn't working for you, and you're going your own way. Or maybe there's someone here that needs to mend some fences in your life and your relationship within the family of God. Folks, you were, part, you were meant to be a part of the family of God. And until you've taken that step, you'll never truly be fulfilled in your life. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? We're not going to delay this. We're not going to turn this out. With all heads and all eyes closed, If you're here this morning and, and you're like, Pastor, I, I don't know that I've ever really taken those steps. And, and, I, and I want this Jesus. I want to be a part of the family of God. I want, to feel, I want to feel that fulfillment. I want my purpose to be fulfilled. But I've never done that. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to force you to do anything this morning. But I just want to know if God's speaking to someone, can you just raise your hand and you can put it right back in? God is speaking to you. You've never really officially asked Him into your heart. Any hands that can be raised? Anyone that wants to admit that this morning? 
continue to have your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'm going to say a prayer. And then Brian's going to sing. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for giving us a plan and a purpose in life. God, we were put here to bring you joy and pleasure, but God, we were also put here to become a part of the family of God. Lord, we're not perfect. Lord, we mess up all the time. We don't treat each other the way that we should treat each other. And God, we just uh, we need help. Lord, we thank you for creating the institution of the church. And it is a family. We're all walking down this road together. Father, if there's someone here this morning that has not officially made you their Lord and their Savior, if they have not, they may have believed in God. They may know that you exist and they want to love you, but they don't know how that takes place. God, today can be that day. God, while we're singing this song, Lord, they can ask you into their heart and ask you to forgive their sins and to cleanse them it, Lord, to you. Lord, they can become a part of the family. Lord, if there's someone here that needs to mend some fences, that needs to fix some relationships, Lord, I pray that they'll take the necessary steps to do that. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, God.